Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the final hours here. Outkick 360 underway. Wednesday edition. Our thanks to Jakob Swanson, the Bath Salt Bandit, for making the show happen today, along with Tyler Castle, Davey Hudson, Dylan Taylor, former production assistant who's now probably our boss at some higher chain uh, on the... Uh, we answer to Dylan now, you're saying? We'll, we'll on the get tree, a, we'll on the hierarchy tree. He's, yeah. yet, he's yet to flex a muscle if, if we do I think, it, I think it, to On him. our Workday account, it says we report to Dylan Taylor now. I think we're going to get an email after the show the, giving us uh, <laughs> advice moving forward. You know, never, ever again talk to someone about doing this <laughs> without checking with me first. But Dylan doesn't say it to us here. He just emails us after. Speaking of the, the, the he's like, guys, uh, speaking of the, the interview expert at ESPN, I'm, I'm now that guy. Wait, can we set up a Zoom, please? <laughs> yes, it's me. We need to discuss some things. Um, so the Pac-12 taking advantage. So there was a Division One council that regulated, or I should say, uh, limited the autonomy of conferences on how they decided who would play for their championship game in college football. That now has been, uh, the restrictions have been loosened uh, a bit, right? Like they, you look around and the Pac-12 is taking full advantage of this, where instead of having the two divisional winners meet for the conference championship for college football, they will now have the two teams with the highest conference win percentage meet for the Pac-12 championship game. And we'll, we'll likely see other conferences jump on board with this too. But the divisions still exist. Well, this year they do. Yeah. Yeah, and the schedules will exist based on the divisional matchups. Um, and that's all the conferences announced is that mo- this year's schedule remains the same and the divisions remain the same. However, four of the last six years, the two teams with the highest winning percentage have also been the divisional champions that have met for the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon and Utah, two of the last three years, have been the game that we would have received anyway based on this setup. But still, that, that's ensuring they're guarding. Yeah. that they're, they're getting the top two teams in their conference playing for their conference championship with the chance to go on to the college football playoffs. It feels like everyone is heading away from the division format to uh, more of a pod system or one that gives you more of a, a true champion, you know, not, not east-west. We see at SEC basketball, for instance, you know, there's no divisions yeah. anymore. So there's a, a more f- a fair way to do it where you don't have, you know, a ties to a division. And with some of these schools in, in football, uh, the SEC, for instance, when you have a constant opponent that's, say, for Tennessee is Alabama, well, that's, an, that's a competitive disadvantage for Tennessee to have to play Alabama every year when other teams in the SEC to have to play a lesser opponent from the West every year. So that's something that they're going to look at as well. Get the best team the best chance. Or just make sure that you have your two best teams. 
that schedule doesn't have as much to do with it. It's always going to have something to do with yeah. it based on well, the, the best year, team would have the best chance. It's not all just by, determined by schedule. In this case, not playing the opponent with the second best win percentage. Yes. Well, but I meant best teams. Uh, you want the two best teams in the, your championship game uh, to, to come. Uh, and then the winner of that, obviously. I mean, deserves, the most recent example, Chad, that I can think of, and I have chance. not gone back, like two or three years ago, USC pl- faced Washington. And unranked Washington ended up facing USC in the conference championship game, and no one—I mean, again—it wasn't much of a—it wasn't much of a matchup there. But USC so. doesn't gain anything out of that win either, in terms of puffing itself up for its. Well, but bid. there's it gets always an extra I mean, win, but it doesn't get an extra good win. It is very the the times are few and far between where a team that could be in the playoff or compete for a national championship get some big benefit by playing a conference game. It was 2020. Game. It's typically just a trap. It's you have to avoid the loss here to make sure that you're in the playoff. Um, Tennessee's an example of that in 2001. You know, they're going yeah. to the Rose Bowl if they don't have to play LSU and Nick Saban for the SEC championship. They get a big lead, they lose, and they're out of a chance to play for a national title. So, example here. The, the, there are uh, three instances since 2015 where the championship game in the Pac-12 would have changed, but only one instance where we would have seen a ranked opponent have the opportunity to play for the conference title, removing an unranked opponent from the game. So in 2015, and again, I'm just going back here uh, to 2015 because that's uh, three times since 2015 we've seen a change in the game based on these new rules. Uh, the game was Stanford-USC. It would have been Stanford-Oregon in 2015. No change in 2016 or 2017. We saw Washington, Colorado, USC, Stanford. 2018, Washington faced Utah. Utah was ranked 17th in the country. They would have been replaced by 13th ranked Washington State. So we would have had Washington, Washington State for the Pac-12 championship that year. Um, No change in 2019, Utah and Oregon. Uh, 2020, USC faced Washington. And that was the game. Washington, they were unable to play or whatever. I I forgot what happened there going into the championship game. But they couldn't play. They were replaced by another team. But the, the game would have been, based on win percentage, USC-Colorado. Colorado was ranked 25th in the country at the time. And then last year, Oregon-Utah again. No change in that. So, you, you know, seven out of ten times they're getting the matchup they want. This ensures that you have the top two teams playing now. Yeah, it's just another way for conferences to protect who they feel, give them the best chance of having – their best teams be their representative. It does look weird, up. though. And, I mean, I know it's only one season, but if you're looking at two divisions and two, the top two teams from one division are playing in the championship and the top team from the other division is not, I mean, it lends itself to you're, you're going to look at it and say, what the hell are there two divisions for? Um, and it's only going to be one year, it sounds like. But well, that's it's what, a weird it, does, it doesn't specifically say it's only going to be one year. The, the way they – released the statement was the current Pac-12 conference football schedule based on two divisions will remain in place for the 2022 season. Scheduling scenarios for seasons beyond 2022 will continue to be reviewed. If they Uh, keep it like that, it will be weird, right? If you're looking at standings and there are asterisks next to the two teams on one side and not on the other side. That's where Chad's saying like you have to come up with these pods and scheduling the pods to where you feel like there is a balance to it 
with the schedule year in and year out, while also trying to keep some of the rivalries. I mean, you want Washington, Washington State facing off. You and want then, USC yeah, taking on Stanford and USC taking on UCLA. If it's pods, do we think the standings read somehow where the pods are factored in, or is it just a straight full Win conference percentage? standing? I don't, um, I don't know I if you can factor I don't think that factors in. I think just based on the way that this is being – uh, laid out there, it's just the two teams with the highest win percentage in conference. So yeah, you, again, it's it's you're trying to avoid um, uh, this is going to happen every so often a situation where one division is stacked, the other one sucks, and you've got a representative or you've got a team that's got a chance to trip up another team that's got a chance game. for a playoff in one good game. But you want to form a more true champion. That's all that the all the effort is let's form the most true system and most true champion in this. And it's not it's impossible to do it like the NFL, which is the way to find a, a true division champion, right? When they're playing everyone uh, the same. So it's 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 difficult to do. But this makes it a little bit better. Um speaking of the NFL, they're having meetings with or have wrapped up meetings with Deshaun Watson. Um I was listening to Florio yesterday I uh, believe he was on Dan Patrick Paul and he was mentioning how in his opinion there is a suspension coming down and it will be his his prediction is they'll they'll suspend him next week in a news dump going into Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Um, but there was a, a and again Florio isn't reporting that this is happening he's just trying to read between the lines on why they're meeting now and determining kind of the timetable going into training camp. And I don't disagree with much of what he said, except for he said, like, if the NFL, depending on what happens with the civil cases, which we mentioned this a month, maybe two months ago, uh, weeks ago, um, where the attorneys had both said, like, if they reach a certain date on the calendar, we would not get this resolved until 2023. And that's going to happen. There were, I saw other reports yesterday saying that. This was out. It's been out for quite some time. Um, Florio was saying that there's potential where they could suspend him to begin the year and then come back and add on to the suspension as more news comes out. And I'm thinking, what about this conversation with Watson now would warrant a suspension if you are waiting on more information to come out one way or the other to then add on to a suspension? I think it's tricky. Uh, I mean, I could see what he's saying about doing it that way. <clears throat> you let him letting him back on the field before things are solved isn't great optically like here's Deshaun Watson debuting with the Cleveland Browns who's got a suspension pending we just don't know what it is because these legal matters haven't concluded but it's just as sticky to say Deshaun Watson's out for the first six games for the Browns he's going to come back and then as soon as these things are resolved the NFL is potentially going to tack on additional suspensions, maybe this year or maybe next year. And, and if it's over the course of two years, it's really messing with the, the, the Browns. Not that they don't, are, you know, don't get to take the consequences of the guy they inherited, but it messes with the rest of the Browns. You know, if, you've, if you're a free agent who signed with the Browns, do you deserve to be dealing with a team whose quarterback is in and out of the lineup? I guess – what I'm saying is if you're going to wait and do that a year from now, if you're suspending him now, you're basing it on the facts that you would already know that would be playing into however these cases are resolved a year from now anyway. 
So to me, the punishment should just is the punishment, down. whatever that ends up being. Well, however harsh it needs to be. Maybe like, that's the case, barring unforeseen circumstances in the in the developments, the remaining developments. But they, I mean, you leave yourself a, a out to add to it. But it, instead uh, of a surprise. But, but it's odd to say that because they've been waiting this entire time for things to play out and to for them now to say, well, we're going to base this off of pending civil litigation, knowing that it's not going to criminal court. We're going to suspend them and then wait on the results of the other ones and then tack on. To me, you know what's available if you're going to suspend them now because the whole argument last year was they weren't going to suspend him or act on it Until they because did. they didn't have any information. So if you're suspending now, that's them admitting they have you enough have information. information to suspend. So if they want to come back a year from now and tack on to it, there's got to be something criminally ne- negligent with this that hasn't occurred yet. Well, and I don't even know why... As I view the surface level of this and how they've treated this whole, this whole saga. Why would you even need to say that? What I mean by that is, if that's the truth, that's the case for everyone. Hey, here's your suspension based on the information we have now. If something else comes to light, we may suspend you more. Well, that's anyone who's ever been suspended, you could say that. Hey, get arrested again. You know, we reserve the right to suspend you again. If someone else makes an accusation and that's a criminal problem, we reserve the right to suspend you again. You could go on the info you have now and make a determination and then move forward. Josina Anderson of ESPN tweeted no, earlier. Of, not of ESPN. No, she's not. She's not she, she hasn't ESPN. been with ESPN for a long time. I don't know. If she's with some small. Well, Josina Anderson outlet. tweeted that she's talking to league. You know, a league source says, "Look at the Trevor Bauer suspension in Major League Baseball, and that should tell you that something's going to happen to Deshaun Watson because the NFL doesn't want to be seen as lighter on abuse against women." Than Major League Baseball, isn't that a two-year suspension for Trevor Bauer? Well, that, that's where Josina Anderson isn't looking between the reading between the lines on this, because Trevor Bauer, based on this suspension, is out fifty million dollars. Yeah, and Deshaun Watson, based on his contract with the Browns, if nothing. he's suspended for the entire year, would be out a million dollars, based on the the base salary of the contract with Cleveland and how they wrote this up. It's in the league allowed this to happen by not suspending him at the end of last year, going into last year. All, all of this has been set up in Deshaun Watson's favor, and that's what no one will say. The whole thing has been to protect Deshaun Watson, if you really want to dig into it. Look at his contract, and look how the media covered the contract. Now it's more about, and the reaction has been more about, when does Deshaun Watson play Houston? Oh, they're... The networks save that game. The NFL save that game for the ratings bonanza that it will be for later in the year after he serves a suspension. Not even factoring in the actual suspension for whatever took place. Like it's, uh, it's just bizarre how the whole thing's been handled. But it clearly on precedent seems like the suspension's coming down soon and the suspension will begin at the beginning, you know, week one, based on the fact that they're meeting with him now. Because precedent says they meet but with the what? player... At the That's end right. of the process. But it has nothing to do with the actual conversation. Like, you take the meeting if you're Watson, because if you don't take the meeting, you, the league can use that against you 
Yeah, right. In, in how they find, like, oh, he, he was Didn't not cooperative. Like, we're, we're taking this into account in our findings of whatever we're investigating. It's part of the way Tom Brady got suspended with Deflategate because he wouldn't turn over his phone. Well, he broke it. He, he, yeah. he destroyed, destroyed it. So that was, but that, that was part of the That's suspension right. was you weren't cooperative. Yeah. I guess my, my whole thing is, like, what, the NFL, and I, I'm basing, the, the NFL hasn't said anything. I'm, I'm basing this off what Florio said about how they would suspend and then suspend again. And I'm thinking, to me, for a league that, I don't know, eight months ago said they didn't have enough information whatsoever to suspend, is now all of a sudden going to make that determination and then tack on to it. I don't know why you've waited this long. Why would you not wait for all of the facts to come to light in a legal setting as they sit here now and, and then determine what the suspension's going to be? Optics. Because they don't want him playing on opening day, but there's still a long time between now and opening day. Well, the opening day We're factor sure would benefit. We're sure nothing's going to happen. Well, so the timing of the optics of, of opening day would benefit the Browns, which they did not give the courtesy of the Houston Texans a year ago. Um, the Texans were left saying, what, what's going to happen here? We don't know. We don't want him on our team. He's untradeable because you won't speak up and say anything. So he's counting against our 53-man roster. We can't cut and him cap. because he's going to cut, count against the cap, which we are up against anyway in a COVID a post-COVID year where it's gone down instead of up. I mean, they actually, the, the league absolutely gave a middle finger to the Houston Texans absolutely. in this. And by suspending Watson now based on the timetable, Paul, and I don't disagree with you, they're helping Cleveland prepare for the season. It's the exact opposite of what they did with the Houston Texans. No, you're right. You're, you're right. But the also the the – fervor and the currentness of what he did or is alleged to have done is a, a year later, a year removed, right? So Houston a year ago was in the middle of it. It was top of mind and we were talking right. about what he did and what he was alleged to do. Right. Now we're not talking about that. We're just talking about the suspension. And the suspension now is, is a year removed from us learning about the but, things so that he's alleged to have done. There's one, there's one quick, just quick, and give me two minutes on this, because this is what I, I think people skip over. He was the the trade with Miami would have taken place at the trade deadline last year if he had settled those well, couple more cases. Yeah, there was like four, four or five. More. There were four or five pending that were not settled. Eighteen of twenty-two were settled, I believe. But the league was or going to allow to that trade to go through last year with him settling these cases. And now in an offseason where he has been traded, and he, uh, again, it's just, I, I don't, I can't connect the dots with that, where he would have played last year for Miami because we the think. league admitted, well, I mean, they admitted weeks prior they didn't have enough information to suspend him. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I don't think the league has a handle, has had a complete handle on this the whole time. So they were content that. Houston was kind of forced to deal with it on its own yeah. last year. So that got them off the hook. It got them, got them all the way to opening day of, of this year. Bought them all that time. They could sit back, say nothing, do nothing, quote-unquote investigate. And, nothing, and always forestall this investigation. As far as, as far as the optics are concerned with this, nothing has changed except for the criminal cases being thrown out by a grand jury. Right. And time passes and gives us distance right. and the outrage. Right. Uh, disseminates somewhat, right? So this is going to be easier for them to deal with, further removed from the events in question. 
But I, I don't know. But in terms uh, until of until we read the press I, I release or hear what what I, we I, hear, I don't, I don't know how September to November would make a big difference with people getting over it. I mean, if they gave right. suspension no, earlier, just allow them no. to play to start the season. No, I, I agree. I don't know either. But I mean, it's going to be interesting I, to see my what response, how they explain themselves. You know, I, I respond to Florio, and I, I'm not. I think Florio had a lot of. He made a lot of common intelligent sense. speculation. Yeah. Uh, Josina Anderson tweeting this to me is like, well, okay, if they're worried about the optics of Major League Baseball, why didn't they treat Deshaun Watson the way that we we saw Trevor Bauer treated by the league and by his team last year during the fall of last year? Where he was on an exempt list, while they while all this played out. And if they're worried about the optics of Trevor Bauer, this is going to be a historic suspension. Because if you're looking to parallel it, he's out. Well, and now you know, you're talking about 32 games. But now you're now you're penalizing the Browns. You're not penalizing Watson based on the historic suspension of what the monetary value will be. Right. And but the Browns gonna, knew what they were If we're going to compare suspensions, like the money that Bauer is losing versus the money that Watson could lose is not even comparable. All right. You'd have to get into next year to hurt them financially, and they're not getting into next year. Or maybe that's part of what they're doing. They're saying, we'll tack well, on some suspension later. Well, you tack it on next year, you do hurt them financially. Well, Fine. if you want to really hurt him financially, you suspend him before you allow him to go to trade like it, yeah. and sign this deal. Like Again, like all of the – there's just a lot of confusing maneuvers with this Outside of, I'm not, I'm not even speaking on behalf of the lawyers in this case down in Texas. I'm saying, like, just from the league and how they're investigating this versus what the Browns did versus, you know, Watson's going straight from this meeting to the Bahamas with his team. It's just all very strange and a lot of speculation where I don't think many people know very much about it. And when it comes out, do we expect it to make sense? Do we expect it to be perfect? No, There'll no. be holes in it, holes in logic. We'll be asking questions. They won't have answers, right. and it'll be a massive story as to why they did what they did, why they didn't do what they didn't do, and it'll open the whole thing back up. Chad, equal pay for U.S. soccer. A big day. It's a big day, and um, look, kudos to the U.S. women's national team and then the U.S. men's national team for coming together on a goal that they wanted to accomplish and actually getting it done. My first reaction to it, shock. Totally shocked. And I'll, I'll tell you why when we come back. This is Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie 
to get all their jobs done well.
If you're listening to great radio partners like Sports Radio 104.7 across the Upper Cumberland, we say hello. You can follow us on social media at Outkick360. We are live from 6th and Peabody in Nashville, Tennessee. Chad, um, historic day for uh, U.S. soccer because there's now equal pay for both men and women in the uh, the national teams. Yeah, and this has been a big issue. Uh, the, the, the U.S. women's national team has fought this. There's been lawsuits. Those lawsuits now are going to go away now that they've come to this agreement. So what does it mean? When we say equal pay, we mean it when it's it comes to the story. It's beyond equal pay. Equal pay for every game played from friendlies to World Cups. Equal bonuses for game outcome and World Cup participation. Equal pay for every day in camp. Equal split of World Cup prize money with the two teams pooling, then dividing their prize totals. Equal split of a new commercial, commercial revenue share program with all of U.S. soccer. Equal rate for tickets sold for games controlled by U.S. soccer. So what does that mean? Here's an example. This is from The Athletic of what this means money-wise. In practice, say the U.S. men reach the round of 16 in the next World Cup. Which is getting out of your group. That's $13 million prize money from FIFA that they'd receive. The women would receive $7 million for winning the 2023 World Cup. Also, these are both realistic expectations. Yes. So that money is split up evenly. No matter that it's $6 million more, the U.S. men's team would bring in as opposed to $7 million for the U.S. women winning it. So both teams would get nine. This is the United States. This is U.S. soccer coming out and saying, um, we're going to do this, and, and Walker Zimmerman talks about this. We're doing this because we feel it's right, and we think that the rest of the world's football and community will follow suit. I'm here to say I do not believe that to be the case. I think this will be the only country where this happens, the only one that comes close to something like this. Because... This is both on its face the right thing, and I admire the men and the women getting together and saying, we feel this is right, so we're going to do this. This is also anti-capitalism in that it's the American men saying, we will take millions off the table for us that we're bringing in with our team and give it to them to make things right. Well, I think I, here's the way I viewed it when I read it. And I'm surprised because it's a... I was shocked that they, they all got together and agreed to yeah, do this. For, for lack of a better word, it's a concession for the men. But here's how I view it. The men are spending money, investing in the women in exchange for the grassroots success that the women are having. Because the women are the more successful team. The women are, at a lot of times, a better team to watch. Uh, America likes the winning, and the women win World Cups, and the men, you know, are, are uh, you know, best-case scenario has been to get to the round of 16. We're hopeful uh, that we're better. We have people playing in better places. The women have uh, better domestic situations. Not that MLS isn't good, but it's a better domestic situation for our national team-level women to stay here and play in the WNSL as opposed to our men. If you want to beat – Walker Zimmerman plays in Nashville and MLS, and some other guys do. But where are our best guys? Our best guys are in Europe, and that's where they belong. Pulisic and Weston McKinney and, uh, and, and Serginho Dest are in Europe, and that's where they belong to do the best. So the grassroots growth of soccer does better on the women's side. And to me, this is the men acknowledging and investing in that. The women are doing more – 
to grow the sport here. And if we work together, that's of substantial value to U.S. soccer, men or women. Well, and I'd, I'd like to see how having equal pay is going to help the soccer for men in the grassroots level uh, in the U.S. I, I, I kind of know what you're saying, but I don't know. I don't see the direct benefit of that with how they're going to make, you know, it's going to suddenly get better. Well, I think the direct benefit to, to interject is that a kid at a crossroads deciding which sport to play might come to soccer if there continue to be better grassroots effort and then men's soccer gets better in the U.S., which is what men's soccer players want. So they're going to spend more in grassroots for men? or I mean, it's the same. I'm saying as soccer in the U.S. is better, men's and women, maybe as partially as a result of this, you get better men's and women's soccer well, see, players. I, I, this is where I do think that the argument is backwards uh, from people like Megan Rapino, who act like American women are, are extremely oppressed compared to other countries. American women are dominant in soccer because as a country, we give more opportunities to girls and women in sports than any other country. Agree. And it's never going to be like that in these other countries. Now, this is me giving a knock to the rest of the world on this. This is why... I think that it's bold you know, to come out and say, hey, this is what we want, and we want to set the example for the rest of the world. The rest of the world is not going to follow suit with this. Men in Spain aren't going to suddenly say, yeah, we'll fork over the millions we're going to make on our national team so our women's team who haven't won a World Cup can make more money just in the, rights of, just, just in the interest of equality. It doesn't happen. So I'm shocked by this because we are constantly covering stories about the A.J. Browns of the world who decide they're not going to play, they're not going to show up, they're not going to practice, they're not going to do anything until they get the contract they feel they deserve. And we just sit here and say, fine, that's his right. Go get everything you can, AJ. If you're a player, you got to get what's yours. Team be damned, contract you sign be damned, sit out, hold out, whatever, to go get what's yours. And we can't even, you're shunned if you speak out against that and say, hey, show up and fulfill your contract. You get shunned if you do that. And on the flip side, We've got a bunch of men in the U.S. who they stepped up and they said, you know what? We make plenty of money with our other teams. Walker Zimmerman's going to make $10 million over four years for Nashville SC right here in town. The highest paid woman in NWSL in the history will make $1.1 million over four years. Over four years. And that's just signed recently. So they're saying we're all making more money. We're fine financially. Yeah, we'll fork over millions in revenue that we're going to be getting and money we're going to be getting in the interest of fairness for the men and women in America. Does all the money that they make on both national teams funnel back to the umbrella of U.S. soccer? Yeah, I mean, U.S. soccer takes a share. Of, they take 10% of the, the World of Cup. Of that World Cup money, money. Or, or they have a revenue so split their share, of tickets. Their share doesn't go down for men or women with what they make off the World Cup, right? Is that what I'm understanding? At World Cup this year, so the, the, the U.S. The soccer gets 10%. The taking less. The women are making more, and the U.S. soccer makes exactly the same. U.S. soccer this year gets 10% out of the next two World Cups, men and women. They're gonna next get, time, 20%. They're going to get 10% of what both make, right. regardless. So if the women don't win it, it make le- you know, they're making 10% of less in this scenario. And then the next two World Cups, it's 20% for U.S. soccer. And this only runs through... Four World Cups, two men, two women. Here's just one note, Chad, about women's soccer internationally. 
which I think is is relevant. And again, it's more club, less country, um, in terms of of the the big offshoot of growth. I think ninety one thousand six hundred forty eight fans went to Barcelona's Champions League semifinal against Wolfsburg. So this is a Spanish club against a German club. 91,000 fans. That is unprecedented. So that's what's going on in terms of women's soccer growth internationally. Club stuff. WNSL, you know, is nowhere near that. was 91,000 for a women's. For a women's okay. semi, club semifinal. I mean, that's on par with men's crowds. What, what is – so, I mean, these are things I, I don't know. What's attendance like for a men's national team match versus women's national team matches? In, in the, the U.S. when they play. I mean, it depends on the opponent, generally speaking. The women can draw but it's, w- very well. This is what, to me, this is a, an incredible story and one that's fascinating to talk about because it is almost anti-American in that they decided to, I mean, th- this is saying we are going to sacrifice our own money to help the whole, right? It's very community-driven. It is the men, now, uh, Walker Zimmerman said this was not easy. There were a lot of people who had a lot of thoughts on it when we brought this up. Yeah, wasn't so everybody in the room raising it, their yeah, hand? Yeah, not yes. everyone raised their hand and said yes. It took a lot of conversations before you know, we realized, okay, we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's going to help the grassroots level of soccer in America and all of this. But they put their money where their mouth was. And I, I respect that. Whether you agree that the women should make as much or disagree – I respect the fact that the U.S. men's national team put their money where their mouth was because there's not a lot of people in this country, and I don't blame them, raising their hand and saying, yeah, I'll take less. You know, there, there are people that uh, work at a local radio station, uh, you know, in, in some small town in America that work just as hard or harder than we work, and we make more money than them, but they're working harder. Am I raising my hand and saying, you know what, I will take less of that person can make as much with what they're making. Because that's what the argument is, right? The women are, say, are arguing, we work just as hard. We actually win more. We're having to sacrifice this, this, and this. And we're we make the less. same injuries. Right. But now take that over all of America, all of American life. Think of the amount of people who work harder than someone else, but because they're in a smaller market, they don't have as big of an audience, they don't have whatever, they're not making as much. And then if every, if you extrapolate that out and say, you know, uh, WNBA players work just as hard as us, as NBA players. Yeah, we'll give them millions so it's even and balances out, even though the WNBA loses $10 million a year. It's anti-markets, but again, I'm just left shocked, but also almost overwhelmed by the unselfish gesture of the men's team to do that because they didn't have to do this. They could have just said, hey, we're all for you guys getting whatever you want, but they're legitimately putting their money where their mouth is and making less. Here's my one final point on this. The Athletic gave, you know, best-case scenarios for both teams in terms of pulling the World Cup money, right? So the women winning get $7 million. The men getting to the round of 16 get $13 million. But let's say the women win and get $7 million and the men don't make it out of their pool. So I wonder what that happens if the men go play four games and don't advance. What's that down from 13? 10? 
Well, then you're talking three million dollar difference. Then it's not quite as generous. I'm, you know, so I'm not saying it's not a generous thing, but it may turn out not to be as dramatic fiscally as it is in a better case scenario. Or the men advance to the round of eight. You know, they win a game like they did in 2002, and it's a bigger gap. Well, so I'm just, curious to I, see again, more details on that. You know, and, and maybe I've been brainwashed because I'm so business oriented in this country. And I look at things from audience and market and revenue and everything else, and the men can sit there and say, if we make the round of 16, that's $6 million more than you get for winning it. Because most of the world cares about our tournament, and a lot of the world doesn't care about the women's tournament. Like it or not, that's just those are the facts. More people are going to show up, more people are going to watch on TV, so why would we sacrifice that? Dusty on Twitter uh, says, the U.S. Soccer Federation was never, ever going to agree to a new CBA with the men, if the men did not agree to this, paint whatever nonsense girl power you want on it. This was forced on the men's team. They were forced to give up this money. They finally decided, screw it. We earn a lot more from clubs anyway. We're never going to win the PR battle. So let's just give them what they want. And it's not fair. And, and how much longer are these guys playing for the U.S. team? Well, a lot of They're the young, main guys right? that I listed are very young. It's a very young team overall. A lot of them in their early 20s. Not a lot of guys, you know. This runs through 2028, 20, this collective bargaining agreement right now for equal pay. I think yeah. the contract through to two World Cup cycles. Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts at Outkick360. You can uh, join Chad in the chat as well on YouTube uh, and chime in if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, you can also uh, email the show 360 at outkick.com. Um, when we come back, pitchers too good, hitters need to catch up. That's a column from PK at Outkick.com. We'll, we'll get into that, plus the PGA Championship, PK's headed to Vegas, and much more. A lot of meat on the bone. With 20 minutes to go, Outkick 360 rolls on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
One of my favorite players was Randy Johnson. This ties into a column that Paul wrote at OutKick. On this day in 2004, at four, and he posted this, at 40 years young, I would pitch my best game of my career statistically. Things would be perfect at the ballpark against the Atlanta Braves. 27 batters up, 27 batters down. Glad I didn't miss the team bust to the ballpark. Hashtag perfect game. Doesn't I, feel like it's been that long. I remember that game. Against my Braves, Randy Johnson was an intimidating dude. That's uh, my yeah. my childhood was uh, you know playing baseball was so, spent fearing a guy like Randy Johnson. I still have his uh, autographed baseball at home in my office, but I remember going and watching uh, at Turner Field, and he came. He wasn't obviously pitching that day; he was signing, and he came up to us, and he was taller than I was. I was standing, I don't know, four. I was probably four feet, three feet off the ground on concrete down on the third baseline. And it was Randy Johnson and some other guy that was signing. And he was still taller than I was standing on top of concrete. I still had to reach the ball up to him. I read an amazing story about Tom House lately, the, the pitching yeah. and throwing mechanics guru. And when he had his first job with the Texas Rangers. And he really helped Nolan Ryan with his late career revival and extension. But Tom House was so into throwing mechanics and helping people. Randy Johnson was really struggling with Seattle, having trouble getting control and stuff. And Tom House, when Seattle came to Texas for a series, got word to Randy Johnson to meet he and Nolan Ryan at the ballpark early. And they talked for like a half an hour. And he gave him one tip. Land on the ball of your foot instead of the heel of your foot. And Randy Johnson couldn't believe the difference that this made for him as he started to get his mechanics right. Later that season, he struck out like 13 Rangers in a win. And Tom House took all kinds of grief for having helped an eventual opponent. And he said, listen, I'm a teacher first and foremost. I teach. It gained a great deal of respect for Tom House in reading this story. Tom House now has an app out. This story was based on this app called Mustard, which is a mostly free app to help kids with pitching mm. mechanics, which I'll be looking at soon because I've got a kid working on pitching mechanics. Nice. You want hitting mechanics, too. I uh, want yeah, hitting you, mechanics. You, uh, yeah, you wrote about this, that pitching is too good right so now. So I, I, uh, I, I follow this account, Pitching Ninja. It's another one of these accounts where it, this is a lawyer and a guy who designed some internet um, software. But he started this account where he does overlays and pitching highlights of sick, nasty pitching. And I watched these snippets, snippets every day. And I think, how the hell does anybody hit anything in the major leagues? The slash line in the major leagues right now through yesterday, I have it right here, is, you know, really good is 300, 400, 500, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging. Right now it's 235, 307, 377. Just awful. And home runs are trending down. Last four years, all of this stuff has trended down. I think in large part because the pitching's so damn good. We took spider tack away. They adjusted. Pitching is winning. Why isn't anybody hitting? I reached out to Nick Swisher. I had just one exchange. I asked him, is it hard to hit as it's ever been? And he wrote me back, absolutely. That's a great response. 
Uh, I talked to Vernon Wells in this piece about, uh, about what hitters can do to get back. But Pitching Ninja says, with the labs they have, with the film they have, you know, you used to think lifting weights made it harder on a pitcher to be good, and now you know it makes you stronger and adds velocity. It used to be a bit of a mystery as to how you made a ball do certain things. And now you know exactly how you make it do certain things because of all this laboratory stuff you're doing and high-speed cameras you have and all of that. I think it's really gone advantage pitcher. I like good pitching, but we know what sells in baseball. It's not more foul balls than fair balls, which is what baseball is now. It's not more pitchers appearing in a game than hitters, which is what we have in baseball now. Hitters have to catch up. Well, and you wonder if it's, um, you know, will it be back and forth type of cyclical like we've seen in Usually football is. at times where an offensive trend comes about, mainly in college football, this happen. Offensive trend, defense catches up, then there's a new offensive trend, but the defense catches up. Will hitting and advancements in hitting and what you can do to prepare and do different things, will that catch up with the pitching? That's what you want to see, right? I mean, is some that, good guys are really good. Ward... And for the Angels, is leading the league in all three of those categories. Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, who I watch on a nightly basis, are killing it. So there are guys who are good, just the league average is bad. Maybe your Orioles are dragging everybody down. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean who knows? Are they, the Orioles have been bad for a while, though, at scoring runs, so it's not just dragging it down this year. Um, Strikeouts are too acceptable well, is part of it, that's too. It. I mean, it's a home run strikeout league now, and that's no fun. There's no, there's no big punishment for um, a striking out. They, they, they count it as different as putting the ball in. It, it's no different than putting the ball in play and grounding out. He talks about you know? Swanson. I talk about Gallo. We each have a guy on our team who strikes out. The Gallo's come to life. He hits some home runs now. He'll get bad again, and he'll go to striking out every three out of every four at bats. I don't know what Dansby Swanson's doing, but – Guys like that are too acceptable now, and they're facing pitching that's very easy to strike out against. Yeah, I, I just hate uh, – with Dansby Swanson's a great example. Uh, guys that – it's one thing to not get a base hit or not, you know, get on base. It's another thing to not see a pitch. Yeah. I mean, swing at something that starts in the middle like of the plate that breaks four feet off the plate where you had no chance to even make contact with it because you're not seeing the spin of the ball. You're not seeing – what a pitch is about to do. That, that happens far too and often. And this pitching ninja will say, here's 21 inches of run on this uh, back foot slider. And then the best thing is he does overlay. So here's the motion. Here's the pitch that's going on exactly the same track. And here's an 85-mile one that breaks, uh, looks like a foot inside. And here's a 95-mile-an-hour one that breaks, it looks like a foot outside. How the hell does a batter assess those two pitches? Uh, it's beyond me. If you can do it, you deserve to make a lot of money. Paul, um, Paul, go make a lot of money in Vegas, man. Thank yeah. you for the wish. Paul is headed to Vegas. Come back even at worst. Even at worst. If you come back even, you've done something. That's right. You've accomplished something. Like these hitters. I'm predicting no, no. on that. I'm <laughs> going you. to win. Going out there to win. Have the Dana White mentality. You know, he's not allowed to bet blackjack at a lot of these places because he will bet until a certain amount of wins, and then he just packs up and leaves. He refuses to stay passes like he'll, he'll try to double his money and leave so i'm there to hang yeah he's like he, he's so if i pick business. up and leave I'm, i just no, sit you, and no, watch hey, my boys play hang, yeah and then, and then you can sit back down but i'm saying like 
you know, hit and run. That's very disciplined. Hit and run. That's very disciplined by Dana. It's and a, you it's guys a, know me well enough to know that I'm not particularly disciplined. It's a disciplined. business approach. You know, he's not there for uh, games. I love, because uh, I'm not a big casino guy, but I love getting an early win and just saying, all right, I'm <laughs> done with that for a while. Let's go do something else. Hutton and I need to get you in a casino. Head into the pool. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs> I'll be at the Encore Beach Club here that, in Vegas. By the way, there's nothing worse, and I'm not speaking on Chad here because I haven't been to a casino like this with Chad. There's nothing worse than having the guy who refuses to bet anything because he's just not having any fun. Yeah. you got to have the crew. If you're there, I'll have fun. if you're there, there, it is time to go to work. And by work, I mean play. Back at it tomorrow. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks.